Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to episode 10 of the Leader of Learning podcast. We did it. We reached the decade milestone, 10 episodes in now, and I am having a blast producing and hosting this show, and I really want to thank all of my listeners uh, for, for coming on this journey and taking a ride with me. It's uh, It's been great so far. At the time of this recording, we just celebrated Thanksgiving recently, and so I guess I just wanted to give thanks to those of you who listen to the show, support the show in any way possible. Of course, I want to thank the many guests who I've had on my show, uh, eight of them in the first nine episodes, and this show really wouldn't be possible without them. Of course, in keeping with the theme and the name of the podcast, all of the guests that I bring onto this show are true leaders of learning in their own rights and in their own ways. And my guest on this episode is no different. She is an amazing educator, a special educator from the Atlanta, Georgia area. She's an award-winning educator. She's the face of the hashtag past the scope edu movement and one of the founding members of ed obstacles valerie lewis is someone who i admire and respect so much and even though we speak quite often on social media twitter and voxer i really appreciated her giving me the time to sit down and chat about some really interesting and important topics in education today so give it a listen Thank you for having me. I'm so honored and humbled to be able to have some time to speak with you today. I am Valerie Lewis. I am a Georgia educator. Um, I've been teaching for about 17 years, and my current uh, position includes me teaching special education, language arts, ninth and 11th grade, and I'm also the Fine Arts Academy lead for our school in Gwinnett County Public Schools. Cool. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I know about you and your teaching career, and I guess congratulations are in order, is that you've been awarded Teacher of the Year honors, and uh, I know that you do so much for your, your current students and that you did for your former students, so I guess what I'm getting at is, what are your thoughts on teacher leadership? You know, you don't necessarily need a title to lead, and you certainly don't need anyone to say that you are a leader. I think that you just kind of have to have a vision in education there are challenges every day, right? We see that from simple things like <laughs> limited supplies and resources to kind of get the job done to things that scale up as large as discipline or attendance or failing schools and report cards. And so I think everyone just needs to kind of figure out or get in where you fit in, so to speak, and just create an actionable plan and just do it. I don't think that you need anyone to lead. Everyone has that thing within them that naturally makes them a leader. Yeah, I like that. You know, and, and it's funny, I should probably mention to anyone listening that I, I did not prompt you. I mean, I gave you a couple of the questions ahead of time, but um, I didn't prompt any of your answer. And what I loved about it is that I, I talk all the time on the episodes on this show about how really the way that I've pitch the show and, and my um, kind of theme for it is leading without labels. And, and I think that's exactly what you were speaking to. And so I guess just a, a follow-up question, you know, when you talk about like people don't necessarily need those titles and, and you talked about some areas of, of schools that people may lead in their, in their own rights, how have you seen that done? Well, 
In my school currently, I'll see teachers that, you know, they're interested or passionate about something and they want to do something, but don't necessarily know where to start or how to start. And sometimes it's just a matter of speaking to someone on their curriculum team or their course team or going to the neighbor next door or a friend that they have within the building and kind of expressing some type of concern and just trying to rally the troops together. We just started something just two weeks ago. We've been in school since August, but we figured teachers don't get together enough outside of school, let alone in school. And so we started something called Crock-Pot Fridays. And so teachers have just come together and uh, 10 of us decided to come on a rotational schedule where we each come up with a crock pot recipe on a Friday and we share and we feed each other. We oh, may not really be able cool. to sit down. Yeah, we may not be able to sit down in a group of 10 all at one time to, to eat, but there are at least two or three of us that can get together and when everyone has lunch. And so just something as simple as that to bond and build morale. So it doesn't even have to be you solving some great big school challenge, but just simple things that really make the school climate and the school culture that much better. So talk to your neighbors, find a friend. You don't even need a whole crew. You don't need 10. You just need one other person to believe in what you're doing and get it done. And slowly but surely it will build and it will grow. I love that. I love that point that you make. And it, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen it, that video where it's like the lone nut, that one guy who's dancing really crazily. And there's just one person that comes along and kind of joins in. And then before you know it, it's like a whole movement, right? And, and that's how that, um, that video went viral is talking about how one lone nut becomes a big movement. And, right. and, and speaking of movements and teacher leadership in the school, let's take teacher leadership outside of the school for a minute, because I know that this is a, a passion of yours too. Uh, the, the notion of being an entrepreneur. As a matter of fact, um, I, I actually visited the, um, the Pastoscope EDU website in preparation for this interview and chat with you. And, and literally your profile on, on Periscope lists you as an entrepreneur, which I think is also on Twitter as well. But what is, what is an entrepreneur? And, and just discuss that, that concept. So an entrepreneur would be someone that wants to marry the world of education with business. One of the greatest disservices that I've found is for a profession such as ours that is held in high esteem in other countries, but right here on this free land and in the free world and territory, we're kind of like at the bottom of the barrel. People have pity parties for us. And so I think that it comes a point in time where we need to marry the concept of education with those in the business world. So when you think about an entrepreneur, I don't necessarily go out and say, I'm going to make it my business to monetize off of the education space. But I think that the mind frame needs to be that we need to figure out how to do startups, how to scale up. So you have people in this space like Don Wetrick that have student-run businesses in his school because obviously the point of education is that we can help cultivate and nurture those dreams and those passions, not just of ourselves, but of students. So as an entrepreneur, I need to be in some of these business circles in our local community. I need to figure out those things that are working, those problems that they are trying to solve 
so that I can bring that information back to my students so that when they're speaking, I'm a little bit more knowledgeable and I can reference that better. So an entrepreneur is just someone who simply realizes that we have to go beyond the walls of education to marry the worlds that are out there, whatever they look like, because there's so many. And, and this, this kind of leads me to uh, the next question that I wanted to ask you and the next project that I'm really curious to hear more about, because I know that I've heard you talk about this before, but I don't know a lot about it. So Ed Obstacles, tell me more about Ed Obstacles. So Ed Obstacles was a concept that was born from my then nine-year-old who was obsessed with American Ninja Warrior watching that on TV, knowing all the episodes, knowing all of the contestants, and just watching him get so fired up, you know, watching these men and women that were, I guess, completing these obstacle course challenges. And I'm going, if this nine-year-old can get so obsessed, I mean, it got to the point where he had our whole DVR filled with every episode, then why can't I find that same formula and marry that to education so that kids are just on fire about learning in that capacity? And so I thought, could we turn this American Ninja Warrior, Spartan Race type of concept and pair it up with academic learning standards? And could we get kids fired up with learning? Could we turn this into something that teachers look at you know, there's more than one way to teach students. You know, it, it can go beyond the classroom walls. No, not every day will you be able to set up an obstacle course or some type of marathon or triathlon, but could you think of creative and innovative ways to get that geometry concept learned? And so a group of teachers out of Edumatch, we talked about finding those other people. I was that lone nut. <laughs> that was able to get others on board. And so we had people like Dr. Dorian and Heidi Carr and Tammy Neal and Sarah Thomas and Justin Schleider and Cynthia Day that said, okay, what is it that you want to do? And they all took an area of someone took social studies, someone took science, someone took math. Sarah partnered up with me on language arts. And we started to devise these challenges that we can build for kids to go through. So they became these stations that kids would compete in collaborative teams that would challenge their critical thinking and then marry it with physical courses. And then so we got someone like an Ian Bryan, who is not an educator in the classroom, but is definitely familiar with the education space, the startup world, um, nonprofit organizations and say, hey, let's take this show on the road. And then we got a call from Atlanta Maker Fair that said, hey, you know, uh, this Ed Obstacles concept, do you think you might be able to showcase that here for Atlanta Maker Fair? 30 to 40,000 people, and it was four weeks away. And I'm going, uh, we don't even have a bin with materials in it. So I said, you know what? When, when opportunity presents itself, you never let it escape you. And so from that, I said, there's a math teacher at our school. There's an engineering teacher at our school. They have access to students that I did not necessarily have access to at the time. And we turned it into a PBL project. And so it became a PBL four-week project where the kids problem solved. They came up with challenges, gave them names, figured out the community partners in the, uh, in the, you know, in the outside community that could partner up with them and give them guidance. And we made that bad boy happen. And we said, this is going to be our test group 
we got an authentic audience, a real audience of kids in the K through six space with their parents, and it was a success. And just recently, a few weeks ago in October, we were invited back to do our second run. And so we're thinking that this is going to be an annual gig for us. And now we're going to try to scale out where we're getting bookings from schools that want to book us for their STEM night and science night and every obstacle course that we design, we're hoping to do something different. As you and I speak, I had a, a, one of the high school kids that just uh, emailed me today and said, hey, Miss Lewis, a group of us are getting together on our Thanksgiving break today at 5.30, and we're going to put together a Minecraft challenge. We're about to purchase a server, and we're going to build it for the sake of something new to offer during our Ed Obstacle course. So with the possibilities are endless with this. That's awesome. And, you know, I have a seven-year-old who's probably not nearly as obsessed with uh, American Ninja Warrior as your nine-year-old, but does really enjoy the show to, um, to an interesting point where, you know, it does, it does have like this cult following kind of uh, uh, appeal to it. Um, but what I really love about Ed Obstacles and the way you describe it is uh, I'm very big, or as a classroom teacher, I was always very big on competition in the classroom. I, I never really shied away from that. And whether it's competition between people or within people, like comp competing with themselves to outdo their, you know, past performance. Um, I'm all about that. So uh, getting past the Ed Obstacles, let me bring you to another passion project of yours and mine, really. But uh, you had a little bit more of a hand in, in uh, where it began and starting it up. And I'll kind of chunk it out into three, three parts here. So talking about Past the Scope EDU, what is it and how did it start? So Past the Scope EDU became a community where we realized so many great things are happening in education and not enough of those stories were being told. Um, you know, headline news was always filled with, you know, a teacher sex scandal or a testing scandal or failing schools, but not enough credit was being given to teachers that are doing a phenomenal work in this space. And not just that, but where people recognize that we're more than just humans. We're people that have regular passions as well. And so there were five of us, Tatul Natoya, Nicole Taylor, um, Sarah Thomas, Derek Larson, and myself that were just having a conversation and said, wouldn't it be great if we could be that media and that outlet for teachers to share the goodness that's happening in their classrooms and get it to a broader audience? And so from that, Past the Scope EDU was born. The learning that happens in this space, we create a hashtag every month and we give no parameters around what that hashtag would be because it kind of goes into that classroom concept. If you have 30 kids in a class, you don't want all 30 to cre recreate the same project that you're looking at 30 different times in the right. same way. Right. So it's that hashtag where everyone has their voice. Every scoper feels like this is my area of expertise and they're unmuted. And, you know, they get to share and feel valued and their perspective is always right. There's no wrong in it. And that is the beauty of this space that everyone can put their own twist on it. And they have this community in this space where they feel valued and what they say is right. And we appreciate it. And it adds perspective where I might not have looked at it that way before. And there's always something to learn from each other. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you said that. You know, being that I'm in this space and I've been with Past the Scope, not necessarily from the start, but pretty close to it. Yeah. Uh, I know that one of the words you like to use over and over is the word amplify. And when I think of uh, how I got started with Past the Scope EDU and what keeps me coming back month every month after month is uh, that idea of amplification. And, and, you know, it's funny, I had um, another guest on the show a couple of episodes ago, Mark Crowley, and he authored the book Lead from the Heart. And one of the things in the book he talks about is the abundance mentality. So how we all have stuff that we want to share. And I think as educators, we probably have more of an abundance mentality than anyone because we like taking what we know and giving it to our students. Uh, and so that that's why I'm involved. And, you know, I can uh, think of a couple of different fond memories I have of being involved with Pass the Scope EDU uh, or monthly scopes that I've really enjoyed more than others. But probably the most valuable experience that I've had with it has to be scoping, quote unquote, scoping the ISTE conference this yeah. year, 2017, but back in June. Uh, it was it was awesome. And we we really hit the ground running and, and we divided and conquered the the conference as huge as it is to really try and live stream and bring the experience of being at ISTE into the living rooms or wherever people had their phones with them, uh, you know, bring it right into their hands. And so uh, to me, when I think of like, where has Pass the Scope EDU as a movement, where has it gone? To me, that's it. But what do you think? Like, where has it gone since it's creation, since its inception? And maybe where do you think it will go in the future? Absolutely. Dan, and I'm glad that you brought up the ISTE conference, because let me tell you, those of you, I unfortunately was unable to attend, but my heart was so proud and filled with joy because, you know, we talk about that passion for learning and sharing one scope at a time. And I believe there were about 14 of you guys that hit the conference ground running and just to think about the magnitude and the power of that network, as you mentioned, the divide and conquer. When we started it in April of 2015, I never, never, never had imagined that it would have even gone to that point. You know, it was just, oh, it'll be fine. We can get together. This is kind of like a potluck type of thing where we'll get together once a month, share our ideas and scope but never to the magnitude of going to a conference level, uh, scoping out the conference, doing the teaching and learning um, with viewers and giving them a perspective. I could just have never seen it. So when we talk about that hashtag better together, I mean, it truly was that. The, the comments that we saw all over Twitter with people saying, thank you guys for sharing just a little bit of ISTE. I can only see this thing growing to something even more. Every month, there's always some new, fantastic, awesome hidden gems that are uncovered. You know, I think when when it comes to what the future holds for Passive Scope EDU, I think that's it. You know, scoping conferences and, and actually getting events and organizations to reach out to us and say, look, we we value your ability to live stream and your ability to tell stories and your ability to, I'll use the word, amplify the voices of educators. Come, come do that for us. Uh, and so that's what I see. I don't know. Would you agree? I agree wholeheartedly with you that that is certainly the direction I see past the scope EDU going. Yeah. So 
Uh, as we wrap up, and of course, I'm not leaving Passascope EDU, but I, I guess I just wanted to take this opportunity to officially and publicly thank you for um, doing what you do, allowing me to be part of it, allowing everyone uh, in Passascope EDU and in, in our community to be part of it, because it's it's been a really special experience in terms of um, connecting and and really just having that shared vision to make education great and and really like you, you alluded to before give it the kind of respect that we know and we feel deep down that it deserves so uh, thanks for everything that you do and and I guess just if you could before we go let everybody know how they can find you how they can look for at obstacles and pass the scope and, and all the stuff that you're involved in so if anyone wants to connect, you can find me at I am V Lewis on pretty much every social media platform. And Ed Obstacles is simply that Ed, E-D Obstacles with an S dot com is our website. And we hope that you will join us on every third Thursday of the month for Pass the Scope EDU. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I'm uh, very involved in that movement. And so, of course, for more information, you could always look to me as well and ask any questions that you want of me. Uh, more information will be listed on the show notes page for this episode and for this podcast. Valerie, we talk all the time, but I really, I really appreciate your time here today and, and opening up like that and, and covering all those different areas that I asked you about. It was a lot, it was a lot to cover in 25, 30 minutes that we spoke, but I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. And thank you again, Dan, for having me. Wow. So that was a lot of really great information that Valerie shared and a lot of food for thought for us, for me, for those of you who are listening. Like I said at the beginning of this show, she and I speak often on social media, but again, I really enjoy getting a chance to sit down with her and pick her brain a little bit about a few different topics, maybe a little bit all over the place, but I loved what she shared, especially about teacherpreneurship or edupreneurship, whatever you want to call it. In my opinion, this is the way that education needs to head. We keep hearing about how educators are preparing our students for life and jobs outside of school and jobs that may not even exist yet. And so why not model that for them as educators and help ourselves become edupreneurs or teacherpreneurs and then through us show our students the right path. Anyway, I encourage you to look up Valerie on social media at Lewis. Or if you get the chance, please go check out Ed Obstacles and certainly hashtag PassTheScope EDU. For more information about hashtag PassTheScope EDU, you can always reach out to Valerie or me or anyone who's a part of that movement. Again, I thank you for listening to this episode, episode 10. For more information on the podcast or if you need to catch up on any of the first nine episodes, please visit leaderoflearning.com or leaderoflearning.com slash podcast. And to find me on social media, I'm at dkrinus, D-K-R-E-I-N-E-S-S on Twitter, on Voxer, pretty much everywhere. Thanks so much for supporting me and this show. You can now find this show on just about any podcast player out there. It's on iTunes, Google Play. We're now on Stitcher and tune in radio find us subscribe listen and of course leave some positive feedback as always remember no matter who you are or where you are you too can be a leader of learning 